the giving of Christ's body and the shedding of his blood for our sins. We thank you, Lord, for what it means. It is a refreshment for the saints, and it is a reminder to us of the work that Christ did on the cross in dying in our place for our sins, in bearing your wrath against sin on the cross, the wrath that we would not be able to withstand. So, Father, as we partake, as we have partaken of your table, may we be refreshed, may we be encouraged, and also, Lord, may we be strengthened by contemplating the work of Christ on the cross. Father, now I pray for our uh, church, our church family. We pray, Lord, that you be with uh, Miss Emily this morning. She was diagnosed with uh, coronavirus back on last Monday, so we pray, Father, that you be with her. She's doing well, but she's uh, abstaining from any contact with us. We understand that. So, Lord, I pray that you be with her, continue to uh, help her to recover from uh, her sickness. Lord, we pray for any other believers in here among us who are uh, sick and infirmed that you touch and that you heal them. Any sickness, Lord, that they may have, that you heal them, Lord, of that sickness. And Lord, we also pray for those of us who are afflicted by various other sufferings, Father, that you give us uh, grace. Give us grace, Father. Help us to continue to look to you as uh, believers. Help us, Lord, to continue to trust in you, to depend on you, and to place our hope in you. Lord, we uh, pray also for all Christians around the world, those who are in persecuted areas, Christians that cannot meet publicly as we can Christians who have to meet in secret who who can't meet in a church building but have to meet in houses or meet in basements of buildings with the lights off Lord there are millions of Christians around the world who are being persecuted right now for their faith Christians that are being systematically slaughtered Christians who are being systematically kicked out of their churches, having doors closed on them, having their Bibles taken. Lord, we pray that you strengthen the church. The one great thing that they always ask for is for our prayers. Because, Father, they believe in the power of prayer. And, Lord, we here believe in the power of prayer, too. Prayer is not a fruitless, meaningless exercise. But, Lord, we're praying to a God who is able. We're praying to a God who is sovereign. We pray we pray to God who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the God who created the heavens and the earth. We pray to a God who hears the prayers of his people. So, Lord, that should encourage us to pray all the more for saints around the world. Pray all the more for ourselves. Pray all the more for our church family. Lord, give us a spirit of prayer. Give us an urgency to continue to pray. We get so busy with our lives. We get so busy with the things of this world that, Lord, we often forget the prayer closet. Lord, help us to not do so. Help us, Lord, to always remember to pray. As Christ himself said, men ought to always pray and not lose heart. And, Lord, may we not lose heart in our prayers. Lord, we pray for our sister churches this morning. Uh, Pastor Bob at Anderson Bible Church, Carlton and Corey, the main preachers at Grace Fellowship, Phil at Redeemer, Anthony at Christian Fellowship, Cody Hale at Iron City, Justin Holland at Mountain View, and Lord, all the other faithful men, Josh Henderson down in Talladega. Lord, we pray for all these men, including myself, Lord, that you Help us this morning by your spirit to preach your word well, to encourage the saints through the ministry of the word. Be with us all as shepherds. Help us to be godly men, to be godly examples to the flock. Help us to faithfully 
proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And Lord, I pray this morning for our church family as we hear the word this morning, as we begin a new sermon series in the parables of our Lord Jesus Christ in the gospel of Matthew. This morning, we're going to look at the purpose of parables, what they are for. And Lord, help me in preaching this text well. And send your spirit to help us to understand the text, even all the way down to the little children, that they may, that you may give them understanding, that you may give them wisdom in knowing your word also. Father, be with all of us. Refresh us. Encourage us by your word. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. I don't have any notes this morning. I forgot to put them on the outline, so um, we'll, we'll, we'll get through this today. So we're in a new sermon series. We just finished the book of Esther last week. We spent nine weeks in the book of Esther. And I pray that that sermon was, those sermons were an encouragement to y'all as we looked at the providence of God and what the providence of God is and how the providence of God is active in all of our lives how God superintends all the affairs of our life, that there's nothing random that happens in our life, but that God is in control of everything, both good and bad. God is in control of all those things. And we saw in Esther that God sovereignly protected the Jewish nation from being destroyed by Haman's plot. We saw that Esther was put in place for a purpose, and that purpose was for God to use her to persuade the king to save her people. So now we're going into the New Testament and we're going to look beginning for the next 14 weeks at parables. We're going to look at what parables are, what they're for, why Jesus taught in parables, the purpose of parables. And so when we read through these parables, we will be able to understand that they have a message to them, that they're not just some story in the Bible but that they actually mean something and the, the parables that we're going to look at are in the gospel of Matthew now Matthew and Luke contain the parables of our Lord some are found in Matthew that are not found in Luke and some are found in Luke's gospel that are not found in Matthew's gospel and I think there are about 12 or 13 parables in the gospel of Matthew and so we're going to look at the parables of Christ, the parables of the kingdom in Matthew. And the reason why I say parables of the kingdom is because Matthew's gospel is all about presenting Jesus as king. Presenting Jesus as king. So his parables are about the kingdom. They're kingdom parables. And so... We're going to start in Matthew, the 13th chapter. We're going to turn to that this morning. We're going to look at the interspersing space between the beginning of Matthew 13 and the end of it. Our focus this morning is verses 10 through 17, but we want to get a good context. So we want to look at the whole chapter. I hope that our little children sitting in here are good students and and uh, that they uh, like they sit in class and listen to their teacher, you know, like I used to do in class. You know, hopefully you all will, will, will learn something uh, this morning from listening to the word of God being preached. That is my my prayer uh, this morning for you all also. So we're going to look at Matthew 13 and look at the parable. We're going to look at this parable actually next week, the parable of the sower or the soils, as some translations say. But we're going to read the whole parable to get the context of verses 10 through 17. So it says in Matthew 13, beginning at verse 1, On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered to him. So that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So you get the picture here. Jesus, a lot of people came to hear him. His fame had spread, and people wanted to hear him, so 
there were so many people that he had to get into a boat and like stand off the shore in the boat and teach to the people that are gathered uh, on the shore of the sea uh, where he was at. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went to sow. And to sow, for those who don't know, is when a farmer takes seed and they scatter the seed out in the troughs that they have, have made for the seeds to go in when they're getting ready to plant their harvest of corn or wheat or whatever the case may be. They went out and sowed the seeds. They cast them out. So he says, sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on the stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? So this is the text that we're in today, verses 10 through 17. He answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has to him, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So we'll stop right there. So the last part of this uh, chapter he explains the parable of the sower we'll look at that beginning next week it is not enough that we read the Bible the Bible must read us it is not enough to have knowledge of the Bible the Bible must give us a knowledge of God and of ourselves in other words the Bible must be studied read listened to experientially by our experience it can never be merely academic we can't read the Bible just so we can say we read the Bible it must be read with a heart of love and submission to the God who wrote those scriptures many people read the Bible not realizing that that is the very word of God I often say if you want to hear God speak read your Bible if you want to hear God speak loudly, read your Bible out loud because the Bible contains the very word of God. Whenever you are reading your Bible, you're reading the very words of God. And this is an important concept in the parables of Christ. It's not enough to hear the parables with our ears. We must hear it with our hearts. Only when the parable shows us our motives, our attitudes, and our behaviors, can we understand? And the Word of God is the same way. We can't just hear the Word of God with our ears. We must understand it with our what? With our hearts. Because our hearts are the seat, the sum, and the center of all that we do. Everything that we do comes from our what? Our heart. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The parables only touch us when the Holy Spirit of God illuminates or gives us understanding of ourselves before the splendor and beauty of a holy God. Otherwise, as a lot of people treat them, the parables are just, uh, just stories, curious scenarios, ancient word pictures, 
or religious allegories. One of the first parables in scripture is written in 1 Samuel, the 12th chapter, where Nathan had told a story to King David after King David had sinned against Bathsheba. And God sent Nathan to David. And this is what the Lord said to David. It actually, in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, God had sent uh, Nathan to Daniel because a year had passed since David had Bathsheba's husband, Nathan, killed. One whole year had passed. Well, David thought that he got away with that sin. So the Lord told David, told rather uh, Nathan, the prophet, to go to David. So it says here in 2 Samuel 12, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said to him, and this is the parable, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, like a baby lamb, which he had brought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drink. I'm sorry, it, it ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom. And it was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. If you all know this story, you know what's going to happen. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. So which man was David in that parable? He was the man who took from the poor man who only had lamb and that lamb was all that he had. So David was that man, the very man that David uh, said that what that man did was wrong. So what was Nathan telling David in that parable? That he took all from Uriah, everything that he had. That David was the rich man because David was king. And Uriah was the poor man who only had his wife. And David, as the rich man in this parable, took Uriah's wife from him in adultery and then had him killed in war. So Nathan told this parable to show David that he was that rich man. That's why Nathan said to David, you are the man. So that parable right there, David, being the man of God, being the king, is something that he understood that it had a spiritual meaning to it and that is the way the parables are so we do not really hear the message of scripture until we are convicted and persuaded by it and that's what we saw with David we do not really study the scriptures until our study turns the spotlight on our own hearts thoughts desires and behaviors it's like I said in the beginning, the Bible, when we read the Bible, we're not reading the Bible. The Bible reads us. The Bible exposes our own hearts, our own thoughts, our own desires, our own behaviors. When we read the lens of Scripture, we should see how sinful our hearts are. We should see how much we are in need of a Savior. I contend that many people are afraid to read the Bible because they're afraid of what the Bible is going to expose to them about themselves. So they stay away from it. That's why they fear the revelation of the Apostle John because they fear what the Bible says about the final judgment. 
That's why they stay away from the talk of hell and eternal torment, not re realizing that Revelation is all about the glory of Jesus Christ, about the final victory of the saints and the ushering in of the new kingdom. That is what Revelation is about. It is not a book about hell. It is a book about the glory of Christ and, and how he is going to be worshipped forever and ever and ever by his people. But people are afraid to read the Bible because they feel that the Bible is going to expose them for who they are. So what does the word parable mean? The word parable is a transliteration of the Greek word uh, parabole, P-A-R-A-B-O-L-E, which means to place beside or to cast alongside. According to Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, parable signifies a placing of one thing beside another with a view of comparison. That's why you're going to see Jesus say the kingdom of God is like. It is like this. It is like that because he is making a comparison. So that's what a parable does. It compares. Nathan compared David's actions to a rich man who took uh, that lamb from the poor man who took away everything he had. So he made a comparison between David's actions and the actions of the rich man in the parable. So it's kind of the kind of the same thing. Hope y'all can see that word picture. Warren Worsby said that a parable is a story that places one thing beside another for the purpose of teaching. It puts the known text to the unknown so that we may learn. So the big idea is that parables of Jesus, and we're going to see this in all of them, they reveal and they conceal the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. They promote divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And we're going to see that in this next parable over the next two weeks. They also fulfill prophecy. And they are a blessing to those who understand them. So looking at our passage here that we just read today in Matthew 13. The context of Matthew 13 is the final rejection of Jesus of his messianic ministry by the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. And we read this in Matthew, the 12th chapter, because three things happen. You have three controversies that happen in Matthew 12, where Jesus in essence says, enough. I'm done. That's it. I'm finished. These people have utterly rejected me. So the context of Matthew 13, the parables, is begins in Matthew 12. So in Matthew 12, you have three controversies. First of all, you have a controversy over the Sabbath. That Jesus went through grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees saw it. And they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. And of course, Jesus Showed them where they were wrong. Then the next controversy was in verse 9 about healing on the Sabbath. They say to him in verse 10, it is, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? And then verse 14, the Pharisees plot against Christ how they might destroy him. And then it says in verse 16, yet he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And then he began to quote. And then you have the more things that the Pharisees did. Matthew 12 and 22, they blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They attributed the works of Christ to Satan. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That's what they did. And then they committed the unpardonable sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Jesus told them that. Therefore, verse 31, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men.
because what the Pharisees did was they deliberately rejected that which they knew to be of God. They knew that Jesus was God because of the miracles that he performed, but they deliberately rejected Christ. And in that sense, they were blaspheming against the spirit by attributing the works of Christ to Satan. That's what they did. Because it says back in verse 24, now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So they blasphemed. This was their further rejection. And then verse 38. Teacher, we want a sign from you. And Jesus said in verse 39, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And then he went on to talk about the prophet Jonah. Jonah was called to Nineveh. And we know that story. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment in this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater Jonah is here. He was speaking of himself. And then he says a greater Solomon is here. In verse 42, he's speaking of himself. So Jesus was telling them that they have rejected him. They have rejected him. And then lastly, Jesus talks about his true brethren here, beginning at verse 46. He talked to the multitudes, and his mother and brothers came, seeking to speak with him. He said to, uh, they said, one said to him, look, your mother and your brother are standing outside speak, uh, seeking to speak to you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my and sister and mother. He was saying that in rejection of the Pharisees. And at that point, he turned toward Jerusalem and turned turn toward the cross rather and turn away from Jerusalem so that is the context of these parables Matthew 12 is the final rejection of his ministry by the Pharisees so he turned his focus to his disciples and his true brothers and sisters those who believe in him so the first principle is that Jesus parables reveal and conceal the mysteries of the kingdom look at verses 10 and 11 in chapter 13 disciples came to him and said why do you speak to them in parables and Jesus said, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. So they were given the mysteries, and to others it was concealed. Concealed, you know, means to hide. So what are the mysteries? Who should watch a show called Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack? I used to love that show when I was growing up, you know. He had that long trench coat on, you know, he had that little deep voice walking with the fog and stuff around him. And, and you know, he had these two, uh, these, I think it was three stories uh, in, in the broadcast, you know, about unsolved mysteries. And some of those mysteries 30, 40 years later are still not solved. But we're not talking about that kind of mystery. We're not talking about the mystery bus of the Scooby-Doo fame, you know. Wasn't it called the mystery bus, that Scooby-Doo bus? You know, those who watch Scooby-Doo, I think it was called the mystery machine. That's what it was called. Where they, uh, what, what did uh, Scooby-Doo and his friends go around doing? They went around solving mysteries. But this mystery in Scripture is totally different. Mysteries are a truth previously unknown but have now been unveiled. Mysteries imply that something secret has now been revealed. So in the language of the New Testament, mysteries are not puzzling situations to be solved by clever detective work like inspector gadget they involve matters that can be known only by God's revealing them no one can search them out one must be told or he would never know so what Jesus was doing was revealing vital truths about the kingdom of heaven to his disciples but not to the multitudes of people who care little or nothing about those truths you know how it is? Some people say that they want to know more about God or the Bible, but then when you tell them they don't want to hear it because they don't truly want to understand the mysteries of the kingdom, and so that's why they are concealed to them. 
So he says, these are mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of heaven? The kingdom of God is basically the rule of God. It is God's reign. It is the divine sovereignty in action. So when we talk about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about the kingdom of God, God's reign, God's rule. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago in the book of Esther. Every kingdom has a king. Every kingdom has a ruler. The kingdom of God has one ruler, and that is God himself. So why did Jesus speak to them in parables? Apparently, the disciples recognized that Jesus' teaching was not clear to everyone. And so that's why they asked the question. When he gave that parable of the sword, they, they knew, they saw the confusion on the people's faces uh, when Jesus was teaching that parable to them. And this is a vital passage because it explains the purpose of the parables. They're to reveal and they're to conceal. They're to reveal the mysteries of the kingdom, but also to conceal it to those who don't even want to hear it. So the meaning of the parables would be hidden or concealed from those who do not have ears to hear. Do you know that you can have ears but not always hear? If you're a child, you probably know that when your parents say, you don't hear what I'm saying, do you? Or sometimes a child may tell the parent, you don't hear what I'm saying, do you? You're hearing but you don't hear. These people have ears, but they don't have ears to hear. But it will be revealed to those who have been given the mysteries of the kingdom. The parables were a means of concealing or hiding the truth from those who rejected Christ as king. Because it is like casting pearls before swine. In other words, Jesus didn't waste his time with those who didn't want to believe in him. Because they didn't want to believe. And because they didn't want to believe, guess what? The truth wasn't revealed to them. If a person wants to believe, guess what? The truth of God will be revealed to them. God will open their ears. He will open their eyes. He will open their hearts to receive the word. Principle number two, the parables of Jesus promote divine sovereignty and human responsibility. So look at verses 12 and 13. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, and we'll explain all this, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So verses 11 through 13 introduce the doctrine of election. Clearly understanding was sovereignly given to his disciples and not given to others. And Bob said this about this passage. He said, these truths should always humble us and remind us that the gracious cause of salvation is in himself not in us and teach us that God's ways are loving just and right he can never be summoned to the bar of human reason God does not reason as we do God does not think as we do God does what he does because he is who is God he doesn't subject himself to human reason because in our sense, we would think, man, why should we do that or why should we not do that? But God is sovereign as that in, in that he can do that and he does that for his purposes. So we must understand that God is sovereign. Matthew 13 and 13 the Greek text says this, for this reason, I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. So he points forward to the principle of sovereign grace and human responsibility. 
He speaks of the cause of and the response to people's unwillingness to follow Jesus. If everybody was willing to follow Jesus, guess what? Everyone would be following Jesus, right? But everyone's not willing. Everyone's not willing. So Jesus, seeing and hearing are used in two different senses. First, it implies perception through the physical senses. That's the seeing that, you know, like you see something, like I see you all. I'm looking at it through my perception. But seeing also implies spiritual insight. Like when Nathan told that parable to David about the rich man and the poor man. And Nathan told him, you are the man. And David later in that passage said that he had sinned against the Lord. Why? Because he didn't just see the wrong physically, but he had spiritual insight to see his own sin. So the seeing that we do is we see spiritual insight of faith that leads to confessing Jesus as Lord. So verses 11 through 13 articulate the principle of divine sovereignty. And this is uh, a little theology class that we're learning this morning. Jesus refers to the gift of spiritual illumination and understanding. He is explaining that the grace of receiving and understanding spiritual truth is sovereignly given by God. And this is why we pray for illumination before reading and studying the word. That's why when I get up before I preach, I always pray for what? Illumination. Illumination means to make clear, to, to, to make bright, like you illuminate a room with light. You make everything clear. Whenever you read your Bible, friend, ask God to give you understanding as you read it. Don't just assume that you're just going to know. Because what you're doing then is relying on human wisdom. You're relying on your own wisdom instead of relying on the Spirit of God to reveal His truth to you. When you sit down to read your Bible, no matter what you're reading, Father, illuminate your truth to me. Lord, show me your truth in this word. Because only the Spirit can reveal the truth to us. We must never be arrogant and assume we have what it takes to understand the word of God because we don't. It is the spirit of God who does that. And that's why we pray for illumination. But this passage not only emphasizes divine sovereignty, it emphasizes human responsibility. If someone uses the spiritual truth that he has, that truth grows and is added to it. That's what Jesus said in in verse 12, he says, whoever has to him, more will be given. To those who understand who have spiritual truth, guess what? More will be added to them. If you look at verse 12 again, as I just read, whoever has to him, more will be given. And he will have what? Abundance. He will have even more. But whoever does not have even what he has will be taken away from him. What exactly does given mean that some have and receive more of? I'm going to answer that question for you. If you look back at verse 11, the answer is obvious. It is the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. So in other words, looking at verse 12, for whoever has, has what? The mysteries of the kingdom. To him, more of the mysteries of the kingdom will be what? Given. But to him who does not have the mysteries of the kingdom, then that will be taken away from them. Matthew Henry said in his commentary, this is a promise to him that has, that has true grace, that uses what he has. He shall have more abundance. He says, God favors our earnest endeavors. Wherever God lays the foundation, he will build upon it. It reminds me of the scripture that says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. God always finishes what he starts. 
the work of grace that God works in us, guess what? He will continue to build on that. We will continue to grow more and more in grace and grow more and more in faith. Now, to those who have not, Matthew Henry says, that he has no desire of grace, that he makes no right use of the gifts and the graces that he has. He has no root, no solid principle that has, but uses not what he has. From him shall be taken away that which he has or seems to have. His leaves shall wither, his gifts shall decay. The means of grace he has and makes no use of shall be taken away from him. God will call in his talents out of their hands that are likely to become bankrupt quickly. What does that mean? God gives, why did God create us? We talk about this all the time. God created us to enjoy him forever, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. That's why God created all of us, to glorify him, to bring him glory and to enjoy him forever. And everything that we do, every gift that we have, is supposed to be used to whose glory? His, not ours. Not to get likes and shares and, and, and ads on our social media accounts. No, our purpose is to bring glory to God. Every gift that we have at work, bring glory to God. In raising children, bring glory to God. In being a child, giving glory to God. Being in school, glorifying God. Whether you're retired, bringing glory to God. As a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a grandfather, as a grandmother. Whatever role that we have, all of that is to be to the glory of God. And to those who reject God, who reject that principle, who don't have any root, those gifts that they have, they would decay over time. Those who reject Christ, those gifts that God has given them to use his glory, they will decay over time. And they will come to nothing. You think about this. People who reject God, they still try to build a world but if you build a world without God, it's not going to last. It's not going to last at all if you try to build a world without God. And that is what many people try to do. So those who have not in this parable, guess what? Whatever they do have is going to be what? It's going to be taken from them. Because they refuse to hear and they refuse to see the truth of God. About human responsibility. The sad thing is that we all have, but we reject and end up with nothing we see that in Romans 1 those who have but do not have even what they have will be taken away this is the principle of stewardship with what we hear of the gospel God gave us everything to steward and if we don't use those things to steward well guess what he's going to take them from us Bob said this, Bob St. John said this about this passage in his sermon. He said, every person experiences the reality of God's revelation and is accountable for the truth. You may not understand the truth as of yet. You may not have believed the gospel, but God has spoken and you know you are accountable to him. If you reject his call of grace, then he will take away from you what little understanding you do have. All that is left after that is to swim in the ocean of uncertainty of your own opinions, to live with a darkened understanding, to imagine you are wise even while you are a fool. The rejection of God as your creator, of Christ as your Lord, of his word as authoritative is spiritual and intellectual suicide. And how many people do that? They sit they hear the word of God. And not only, you don't even have to be in church. Romans 1 says that the revelation of God is in creation. In things seen and unseen. I say it all the time. Just go outside and look. 
you see God's handy work on every single thing that he has made. Look at your own bodies. Look at your own bodies. Look at how your body functions. God made your body. The human body is the most complex organism in all of creation. It is the most complex. Who's, who's felt pain before? Tell me if I'm feeling pain right now by this sermon. <laughs> but physical pain, who's felt physical pain before? You know what pain is? Pain is your body telling you that something is wrong. That's what pain is. It's a signal from that spot to your brain to say something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong. But that signal goes that fast. Just think about the nerves that go from your hand to your brain. If you cut yourself, how quick it happens. You feel pain instantaneously, don't you? That's how fast those signals work. It don't happen in space, no. It travels through your nervous system. Think about how complex that is. And if you didn't feel pain, that's something wrong with your body. There's something wrong with your nervous system. It's trouble if you're cut and don't feel pain. That means some nerves are dead somewhere. Who created your body like that? God did. God, people don't have to hear the Bible to know that God exists. Think about a pregnant mom. You have another person, a literal person growing inside of you. Moms, isn't that right? I'm sure y'all can attest to that, all the moms in here. You have an actual person, another human being growing inside of you. And you know what? You can't control when that baby comes out. Yeah, the doctor's going to say your due date is such and such and such and such. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's okay. It gives you a ballpark. But God may say, nope, you're coming two weeks early. Nope, you're coming a month early. Nope, you're coming a week later. That baby can't control when he or she is born. God makes that baby grow inside of that uterus, inside the amniotic sac. That is God, people. Do you understand that? That's God. You can't, that, that, that's God. We talk about it all the time. Like the psalm says, who feeds the beasts of the field? God provides for all those animals out there. No one goes out there into Duggar Mountain and feed all the wild animals out there. No, they, they feed themselves. When you look around, you see that there is a God. And people reject that. Why? Because they don't have ears to hear. They're rejecting the grace of God. And God takes whatever little understanding they have from them to the point where, guess what? They won't understand. And that's not a place that anyone wants to be. God is our creator. Christ is our Lord and the word of God is authoritative and we have to receive that but what's the rejection of that is spiritual suicide and intellectual suicide principle number three the parables of Jesus fulfill prophecy look at verses 13 through 15 he says therefore I speak to them in parables because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not understand nor do they I'm sorry hearing they do not hear and so they do not hear nor do they understand and in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled which says hearing you will hear and seeing I'm sorry you, hearing you will hear and shall not understand seeing you will see and not perceive for the hearts of this people have grown dull their ears are hard of hearing their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. 
he's quoting Isaiah's prophecy, Isaiah 6, verses 9 through 10. This judgment is a fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah. That's what Jesus is saying about the parables. This is why Isaiah 8 and 14 says what it says. Because these people are rejecting the Lord. And that's why the scripture says what it says. And this is what Isaiah 8 and 14 says. It says a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Israel. The word of God, the prophecy of God was a stone of stumbling for Israel. They stumbled at the word. In Isaiah 29 and 10, the prophet says, God has given them a spirit of stupor. Stupor means sluggishness. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. As Matthew 13 quotes Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, Paul also quotes this same passage after earnestly presenting the gospel to the Jewish people in Acts 28. So he was pleading with the people to hear the word of God, receive the word of God, like please with tears receive God's word. And this citation here, Ian Campbell said in his commentary, he says, this citation of Isaiah 6, 9 through 10 is a reminder to us that God can send his own word with a purpose of judgment as well as of salvation. The sun which melts the wax hardens the clay. The word which opens the hearts of some to receive Christ confirms others in their rebellion, rejection, and unbelief. The parables become doors by which some enter into the glories of the kingdom while others are shut out from its blessings. If we understand the parables, it is a sign that we are shut in. If we don't, it is a sign that we are shut out. One thing is certain. When Jesus speaks and when the gospel is preached, there's always a response. Always remember that. When you're sharing the gospel with people, there's always going to be a response. Always. When you speak the truth to people, there's going to always be a response. Either they're going to receive that truth or they're going to do what? Reject it. There's always, there's no neutral stance where you, you can't take a, 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 a stance or a response to the truth. Either a person is going to respond positively to the truth and say, yes, I received that. That is true. Or they are going to reject it. There is no middle ground with God's truth. None. There can't be. As my old folks used to say, you can't straddle the fence. You know, the old folks used to talk about straddling the fence between uh, truth and, 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 and untruth. No, you, you can't straddle the fence. You're either on the side of truth or you're on the side of lies. You're either on the side of God or the side of Satan. You can't be both. You can't straddle the fence. You can't halt between two opinions. You have to take a stand like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So these prophecies Spurgeon is the one who said the same sun that melts wax hard as the clay. The same gospel that melts some men to repentance hardens others in their sins. Do you all know that God sometimes gives people over to their rebellion? That each time they hear the gospel, they harden their heart against him. Why? Because they refuse to hear. They refuse to listen. They refuse to take heed. So God in judgment says, okay, start out and rebel. Continue in your rebellion. He does that as a judgment to them. Because guess what? That's what they want. They want to be rebellion. They don't want to receive the gospel. So God does what? He gives them over to it. Say, okay, 
Go ahead. And that's what Isaiah's prophecy is saying here in this passage. God can harden people in their rebellion, in their rejection, and in their belief. That's why I always speak with unbelievers. When you hear the gospel, receive it. Say, Lord, save me. I don't want to be on the wrong side. I don't want to be on the left hand. I want to be on the right hand. I don't want to be among the goats. I want to be among the sheep. Those on the right hand enter in. Those on the left hand depart from me. We want to be on the right hand. We want to be the sheep. We don't want to be the goats. So the prophecy explains the biblical principle of accountability for the truth that one receives. The spiritual condition of hardness and blindness is a direct result of this. Listen to this carefully. The spiritual condition of hardness and blindness is the direct result of refusing to hear and rejecting what was revealed before the eyes. God judges the rejection of the truth by hardening us to the truth. Intellectually, we may be smart. Physically, we may be able to hear and see. But when we reject the rule of Christ over us and refuse to submit to him with our whole life, then darkness descends. We cannot reject the rule of Christ over us and expect not to be in darkness. I was talking with my wife just yesterday about some of my former students that I see living in rebellion against God, and it grieves me, it breaks my heart. I love them. One of them, I'm her favorite teacher ever. She always talks about that. Ms. Hager's my favorite teacher. And, you know, I talk to her every now and then. She, you know, hooks us up with different uh, restaurant perks sometimes at the restaurant she works at, you know, so forth and so on. We have a great relationship, but my heart grieves for her because she's living in rebellion against God. And whenever the gospel is, is presented, that hardness sets in. I don't want to hear that. We have to be careful about that. We have to pray that our hearts don't get like that. And we have to pray for the hearts of people who are like that. So in verse 15, Jesus provides the basic reason for this judgment and condemnation of self-deception. And self-deception is a judgment also. He says that their hearts have grown dull. You see that at the beginning of verse 15. Their hearts have grown dull dull what is the heart the heart stands for the entire inner man including our thoughts our emotions and our will everything we do comes from what comes from the heart our thoughts emotions our will comes from what lies in our heart the word dull means to thicken in this context it means to become spiritually calloused the dullness is further explained by the clause, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn. The word understand means to put something together. That means to comprehend spiritual concepts and ideas. But without the help of the Holy Spirit, no one can understand spiritual concepts. And I believe we cannot understand spiritual concepts without the help of the Holy Spirit. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2 and 14. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And this is why, friends, we depend on the Holy Spirit when we share the gospel. While God uses the means of human witness, which he does, ultimately he must open the hearts to the gospel. In our natural sinful state, our understanding is dark, and we are under the blinding influence of the devil. And our will is in bondage. And we will resist and twist the truth of God whenever it confronts us. 
Conversion is a miraculous work, and it requires supernatural intervention into our lives. And this is why unbelievers cannot understand the truth of God. The Holy Spirit has to reveal the truth to them. We can only share the truth and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that truth to them. That's what we have to do. We share the truth and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that truth to them. So then he talks about the ears. He says something about the ears. He says that ears are hard of hearing. Who's used that term before? Somebody being hard of hearing. Or as my dad used to say, knuckleheaded. <laughs> or meathead. You know, you had that head, you know, so, so much meat on your head that nothing could get through to that brain. Are you hard of hearing? Spiritually, a person can be. And when the heart is thus heavy, no wonder. This is what Matthew Henry says. And when the heart is heavy, no wonder that the ears are dull of hearing. The whispers of the spirit, they hear not at all. The loud calls of the word, though the word be near them, they regard not, nor are all affected by them. And he says the eyes, he says what? The eyes, they have closed. Matthew Henry says, the eyes are also closed, resolved that they would not see the light that came into the world the son of righteousness who is Jesus Christ but they shut their windows because they love darkness rather than light that's John 3 and 19 man this this really has me thinking when we share the gospel with people they can hear what you're saying and they can nod their head but they don't understand it because they've closed their spiritual eyes they close their spiritual ears and they shut off their spiritual heart. That's why we pray as we evangelize. We pray as we share the gospel. We pray that God reveals his truth to them because otherwise they will not understand it at all. Matthew Henry said this, the saddest condition a man can be in on this side of hell is to sit under the liveliest churches with a dead, stupid, untouched heart. To hear God's word and see his providences and yet not understand and perceive his will either in the one or in the other is the greatest sin and the greatest judgment there can be. Our churches are filled with people who have hardened their heart to the gospel message. That's why we pray. And then lastly, the parables are a blessing to those who understand. Verses 16 through 17. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and hear what you hear and did not hear it. So while the parables of Jesus are a means of hardening some, they are a source of blessings to others, including the disciples. So in verses 16 and 17, we see the emphasis on the importance of receiving the revelation of God his, in his son, Jesus Christ, with reverence and faith. This generation witnessed the incarnation. They were privileged. They saw, they heard, and they witnessed Christ's work in this world. And guess what? They still rejected him. The Pharisees saw the work of Jesus. They saw him do the miracles. They saw him preach with authority that no one else ever had before. But guess what? They still rejected him. They still said he casted out those spirits by Beelzebub, by the prince of demons. Although they know that what he did was the work of God. But the disciples, they were partakers of the great revelation of God. We are partakers of the same revelation of God through Jesus Christ. The spirit of Christ is with us and in us. He teaches us through the word just as Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus gives us understanding 
of the mysteries of the kingdom of God, those of us who believe. Blessed are our eyes for they see and our ears for they hear. That is what Jesus says to all of us who believe. In closing, three applications here. As you share the gospel truth with others, especially unbelievers, rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal God's truth to them. You can't make them understand. Don't frustrate yourself by trying to. You just share God's truth with them. Number two, as you hear and read the gospel truth to yourself or with others, pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth of God to you. As you open your Bible and read, pray, Lord, reveal your truth to me as I read it. Help me to understand your word. Always rely on God to show his truth to you. Amen? Always. Don't take it for granted. And number three, pray earnestly for unbelievers that their eyes are not blinded, that their ears are not stopped, and that their hearts are not hardened. Pray for them. Many of us have family members who are unbelievers, friends who are unbelievers. Pray for them. It's always a joy to see unbelievers come to faith in Christ. And God is still saving. Amen. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. It is hard hitting. It is something we need to hear. We need to know, Lord, that your word is only understood by spiritual means. That only the spirit can reveal your truth to us. Lord, we pray this morning that as we share the gospel with others, especially unbelievers, that we rely on the Holy Spirit to reveal your truth to them. Lord, we pray for ourselves that as we read and hear the gospel ourselves, that we pray that you send the Holy Spirit to illuminate your truth to us. And Lord, we pray earnestly for unbelievers that their eyes are not blinded, that their ears are not stopped, and that their hearts are not hardened. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. May it strengthen and encourage the saints. And may it also bring unbelievers to repentance. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this worship service. May you be glorified as you agree to partake of our fellowship meal. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen.